Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to talk about the Red Yeti membership program, which we launched in the last six months. On this program, members can gain access to discounts of up to 50% off 70 plus startups in the outdoor space. In the last month alone, we've added 10 startups to the platform, and it doesn't look like we're slowing down anytime soon. Our goal is to have hundreds of startups on this platform so that members can go on and discover new brands that really align with their values and take advantage of all the discounts that are offered. In addition, members can apply to become ambassadors for these startups, all from one location. You fill out one form and then you just check which startups you'd like to have it sent to. We also are offering and showcasing all of the brand's new products that they're working on, showcasing prototypes and things like that, so you can really be kept up to date on everything new and unique that they're offering. We also are going to be doing some collaboration with these brands, showcasing some unique limited edition product that's only offered to Ready Yeti members. And lastly, we have a private Facebook group for all active members so that you guys can get to know each other, communicate, hang out, um, and really uh, get to know each other and help us build this movement in the outdoor space. So if you want to check this out, you can head over to readyyeti.com slash members and enter the code Yeti Podcast to get your first month free. What is going on, Red Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. And on today's episode, I am sitting down with one of the co-founders of Woo Sports, uh, Leo Koenig. Uh, Leo, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks a lot for having me, Josh. It's a pleasure and, uh, for being at your podcast. Definitely. So right off the bat, obviously, Woo Sports, what you guys are doing is, is pretty unique. Um, for the listener that may not be familiar, uh, you're, you're big, the big aspect is you're, you're really a technology company that links with uh, the outdoors, right? Um, and you focus on creating sort of a gamification of uh, sports like skiing, snowboarding, uh, kiteboarding, uh, and skate, right? So you turn it into a game so that uh, people can use it to push themselves and progress and also compete with their friends and on sort of a global level, correct? That's that's very true and very correct. And um, that's been the, the, the premise of our business from day one. Um, we're very often seen, I guess, as a, as a business that builds a device that tracks certain metrics. And that, um, in the end of the day, is a necessity for us to then create a game about or around something that is actually happening in the real life. And that's um, that's what Woo Sports is. Um, we're trying to build games around real life and, and um, what better what better way to start than with a couple of fun action sports. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's something as a, as a skier myself, my, my friends and I were always competing on who could, uh, uh, you know, get more airtime or do the stupidest thing <laughs> and at least try not <laughs> to get <y'all>. hurt. <laughs> um, exactly. So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get to the point in creating Woo Sports and building this sort of company? I think it's um, it's it's uh, you know just like with everything and, and any founder you will talk to, it's essentially a lifelong story that that leads you to a point where you realize that you know working in a corporation and working in a, a nine to five job and and wearing a suit every day just isn't made for you. And that's that's a realization that I had you know a couple of years into my professional career. 
Um, so there was a driving factor coming from that end um, where it's a little bit of a push where you, where you just want to get out of the office and want to get out of the corporate environment. And on the flip side of things, you're passionate about, you know, some things that, are, that you call your hobbies. Um, for me, it was, well, in the earlier, in the earlier days, it was skiing. Um, I spent, you know, at least 10 weeks every winter on skis and, and then picked up kiteboarding, which is a water sport. So the perfect complement to do in the summer when there's no snow and, and always had a, just a huge draw to these kinds of activities, also to um, the kind of passion and and um, adrenaline these these things entice in your body, and that's something that's that I was definitely missing in my in my professional career. And I think that all kind of blended itself to a deep desire in myself to to do something in that area where I could wake up every morning and just do something I would really love. Um, and that's what what ultimately drove me as a person to to take that step and, and take that risk and, and take a, a significant uh, yeah piece of hard work and all that as well to start that company. Um, you know, in, in terms of the, the actual logistics and, and why woo and why not something different, it was pretty um, pretty straightforward. And as a, as a kiteboarder, you, uh, you know, you are at a certain beach and there's always at one beach that, you know, one or two people that claim they had, you know, at least a 50-foot jump that day. And, and that's something that you start questioning or asking yourself, especially back in 2013 when Fitbit and wearables and, and all these technologies were coming around. So all the things and all the bits and pieces we needed to build something like this were there. And, and you ask yourself, why can't we figure this out for the sport of kiteboarding? Why can't we have a little device that gives us an answer to this particular question or or whatever problem you know you you have where, where you think oh my, i was definitely higher than that guy and you want to know <laughs> um and, and that's how kind of organically i guess these things fell in place and we we started tinkering around with a little bit of uh technology um just you know did a did a very quick kind of study if it's technologically feasible um i'm an engineer by trade so so that was a little bit of a of, of a hobby project back then and then quickly realize that techno technology-wise, it's doable. You look at pricing models and, and what it would cost to build something like this. To, you realize that that's possible as well and that you could sell it for a price point where people would buy it. And, and from then on, pretty much it's off to the races. So, um, it's you know, it's again, it's a story that's influenced by many, many different things and probably threads back very deeply into your life. But in the end of the day... Um, if you follow your heart and your passion, you're going to end up doing something that you really like, and, and that's where we are right now. It really is important to um, to do something that you do truly enjoy. It, it makes it a lot easier <laughs> to spend a ton of time um, building it and creating it. Um, I, w I want to start. I want to talk a little bit about, I, I guess, your your upbringing. You're originally from Germany, correct? Correct. Yeah. So in Germany, um, you're not very close to an ocean. <laughs> Um, so how, how did you get into kiteboarding? So, um, again, it's, I think, you know, in, in terms of upbringing, again, I grew up in the middle of Germany and there's no, uh, there's definitely no kiteboarding. Um, it's close enough to the Alps so you can escape there in the winter and, and have some fun. But, um, it was in 2005 or six, um, I'd have to look at it exactly, but, um, you know, some, some of those days where I was studying mechanical engineering in a small town in the middle of Germany um, that was mostly driven by engineering students. So there was not a lot going on because we're all boring and we're all nerds. And um, <laughs> I, I met a guy at, at 
ironically at the swimming pool. So they had an outdoor swimming pool in the summer. And we were the two who were always not attending class and always hanging out in the swimming pool and reading books ourselves and teaching ourselves and saying, like, look, this is now we don't have to sit in these classes to do these to do these things. Now, one winter where we obviously couldn't be at the pool, we, we just called each other and we're like, dude, we got to do something because we were so frustrated of being stuck in this little town. There was nothing to do. Um, and we, we, we literally looked at, at uh, cheap flights that we could get and we found Cape Town in South Africa, 12 hours, 11 hours, 12 hours straight south from Germany. Looked like the perfect destination. There was also this thing called kiteboarding that one of our friends at that point already did. And it, you know, from the outside looked just absolutely amazing. So um, we booked the flight and a day later we were on our way to Cape Town in South Africa. Um, and then we, I think for two days sat on the beach, just jaws dropped and, and drooling over how exciting it, it would be to, to do something like this. Um, and as a student in Germany, you don't have any money, but we basically said, screw it, you know, let's go to shop, buy some used gear and, and start this. And um, from then on, I was hooked. So uh, there was no way back from there. And um, but it's again, it's you know, it's one of those stories where you go to go to university and you're just so fed up with it that you need to get out and you find something to do that's really fun, and um, that's what we did. Yeah, I totally get that. Now, uh, you you say traveling is a, is a pretty big aspect of your life, and uh, something that I, I read, I saw that um, you believe that traveling is um, one of the best things that a startup founder or CEO can do. Uh, I'd love for you to sort of elaborate on on that and explain what you mean. Well, um, you know, part of this comes obviously from my own experience, having traveled quite a lot and having seen a lot of different cultures. But I really do believe that as a as a startup founder and CEO and whatever you would call it, you need to have a very um, diversified perspective and first of all perspective on things, meaning that you can view things from a very far distance, even though um, your mind is caught in you know day-to-day -day things and in the weeds. That's a really, really important skill to have, um, to be able to pull yourself out of those weeds and, and take not just one, but multiple steps back and look at the big picture. And that's something that traveling teaches you because you get to different places in the world where, um, where things just run differently. And all of a sudden, you're forced to question what you grew up with. Um, I grew up in Germany. I was, I was taught certain values. I was, um, for lack of better terms, conditioned to be a certain way. And you come to other places and you realize, crap, this is not, this is not what life really is. There's other elements to it. And there's other people who view it differently. And having that type of um, stimulation to, to think outside of the box and think outside of what you're used to and get yourself out of your comfort zone is something that I believe is incredibly valuable to entrepreneurs. Um, and it's something that we value at Wu uh, very much as well. We encourage people to travel. We, we take a trip every winter to uh, Cape Town as a company um, and expose ourselves to different cultures, different people, different mindsets, just to, just to almost like stay on your toes and 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 um, never get too comfortable in a certain um, place and, and mindset um, because that will ultimately allow someone else to do something different and better than you do and um, and um, yeah be a strong competitor. I, I think you bring up a really good point about traveling. It helps you it helps expose you to things that you would never have ever seen and and sort of question. You're saying you're. Um, your belief system almost, right? You're seeing something so different and seeing people do things in a completely different way. It goes to show that 
you know, you, there are multiple ways to do things, right? And the same thing happened to me. Like the first couple of trips that I took abroad, I was just sort of like, whoa, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> and yep. you're right. It is. It, I think that's the best kind of education. You know, like I spent, I, I've spent some time traveling, um, before I started Red Yeti. And then as I got busy with the business, like a lot of that took the back seat and I'm going on one of my first trips in a while in a couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about. Um, and we talked about that a little bit <laughs> offline. Yeah. Which I'm stoked to be able to get back into it. But I think you're right. It's such an important part of uh, growing and really seeing things from a different perspective. Exactly. And I, and I think, you know, it's um, growing is a very important word. You just mentioned it's um, to me, it's been a, a huge facilitator of personal growth of being exposed to some of the nice things that you see abroad, but also some of the, the not so nice things. Um, tough times, yeah, and being definitely. out of the comfort zone at times forces you to to grow, to adjust and to learn new things that you that you um, otherwise wouldn't have experienced or known. And that's um, incredibly valuable. And I, I also believe that um, um, leadership is is an area that really benefits um, of traveling, since um, you know if you just go to uh, if if I grew up in Boston, I went to Harvard Business School. I would learn a lot of managerial skills, but you wouldn't have that type of um, I'd almost call it wisdom and life experience and life skills that you learn when you travel a lot that ultimately make you um, a much better um, leader and and allow you much more to be um, empathetic towards people and understand where, where perhaps some of their struggles come from because they did not grow up the exact same way you did. Um, and that's all, all of the beautiful lessons that traveling teaches you. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, now I want to take a little bit of a pivot to go back to, um, to Wu and talk about the development of the product. Now, obviously, you have a background in mechanical engineering, so that helps. <laughs> um, <laughs> But how, yeah, and you talked a little bit about it when you, you mentioned that, like, okay, Fitbit, Fitbit exists, so, like, this technology is, like, it's there, it's just applying it in the appropriate way. So, how, what was the prototyping process like in taking it from that original idea of being like, hmm, let's see, did I really get 50 feet in the air to then actually having this product that you can now compete with your friends and track all of that? Um, it's a it's a very very long journey and it's a very um, hard journey that's um, um, you know scattered with a lot of rocks in in your way. Um, it's not it's not easy, um, and there's no there's no straight line or any kind of you know cookie cutter recipe that you could use to say you just do this and then you'll get from zero to a, a consumer ready product. But um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, being willing and able to iterate really really quickly. You start with something very simple and we had um, very early on already you know simple prototypes and we download raw data and put them into excel spreadsheets and analyze the data that way and from there you take step by step by step by step um, um, again there, there is no there is no simple recipe and if you'd ask me um, to to literally recite the whole story of how, how we got from nothing to having a, a product that we could sell to consumers I could probably write um, one or more books about that, um, <laughs> with you know, with lots of hard horror stories as well um, as part of that. But um, but again, you know, the couple of the key takeaways and a couple of the key things that we've learned along the way is, is iterate really fast, um, expose your earliest prototypes already to people and to customers to learn from that. Look and learn, listen very carefully to the feedback that you get. Um, 
and I guess be be patient and understand and know that this takes time. There's there's many um, companies and we made that exact same mistake initially where we thought, you know, look, we have a prototype, it can do all that in Excel spreadsheet. Now we just need to, um, uh, you know, make the Excel spreadsheet a, a firmware that lives on the device and not build one but a thousand of those and shouldn't take us more than three months, right? Um, <laughs> and that's what happens in so many crowdfunding campaigns and all that. But the, the longest path in the development really is to get from that, oh, I have two, three prototypes that work perfectly fine to I have a consumer and manufacturing ready product that I can, you know, pump out in the thousands um, at any time. You know, it, it seems from the outside that once you have that prototype, you're 90, 90% there. Now you just have to build a thousand of those. It's the exact opposite. Once you have that prototype, you maybe have like 10, 20% of the path. The hard part really is that, that you know, last bit, and that's the 80% that you need to um, cover. Right. Now, um, after you developed the product, what, what was the process in then starting and building Woo to the point where you have, you know, now a large basis of customers, right? Because part of the part of the appeal of Woo is actually having uh, sort of a network of people that you can compete with, right? Exactly, yes. Um, Woo is, is very much um, um, a community as well where, where lots and lots of people come together and kiteboarding, it's over 20,000 by now, that um, compete against each other. And obviously, the more people there are, the more the fun the, more fun the game is to play if you're alone on your own spot and you keep compete against yourself it's not as exciting as having five six seven peers on any given day um giving you a hard time about that number one spot on the leaderboards <laughs> i think <laughs> i think the path there is is um at least for us it was a very um i would say authentic one um there's many companies out there right now and in, in different spaces you you know you can look at uber or 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 the likes where they try to reach that critical mass by basically subsidizing the market by pumping money into marketing and and and, um, and uh, PR activities and all that we well for one we didn't have that money we didn't have to, that money to spend we were um, pretty tight in cash throughout um, long long parts of our journey um, so we had to be creative and we had to find ways that um, once we gave a woo to someone in our community that he would be excited enough to spread the word and, and perhaps go to his friends and say, come on, guys, get get one of those as well so we can have fun together. Um, and we kind of classify and call that viral marketing at woo, where we build product features that kind of in itself continue to, to fuel the fire and sell the product. Um, one thing that definitely helped us tremendously was that we were able to get uh, or finagle our way into the Red Bull King of the Air. Um, it's a big kiteboarding competition in South Africa, likely the biggest competition um, that is held year-round. Um, we, we were able to um, become the official height measurement device of that um, competition in, in early 2015, and obviously that puts you on a pretty big scale and, and creates quite a lot of awareness in the market. But um, but again, our, our approach for the most part has been build product that people really like to a point where they want their friends to have it as well. Um, again, you know, other other approaches could be that other companies take could be to say, look, we'll we'll spend um, you know thousands of dollars on, on magazines and um, and uh, digital advertisement, social media, and so forth. Um, but we didn't have that money, so we had to get creative a little bit. 
Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Like you build a great product and the marketing is kind of almost not easy, but kind of easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where uh, you put it in the consumer's hands and be like, is this product awesome? If you think it's awesome, you're going to tell someone about it, right? It's Exactly, um, exactly. It, and, and, and this is something where we feel, um, you know, many of the companies that were in our space and, and still are in our space, take Fitbit, take Jawbone that's now gone under or take GoPro, um, they seem to be complacent with, all right, we have great sales numbers, right? We, we found ways to push our product on people, be it through POP displays or big marketing campaigns. But I don't think that's a sustainable way to build a business. I think you always need to hold yourself accountable to um, a standard where you say, if if someone is, is willing, if, if I can convince them to shell out, you know, $200, $250 for my product, 10 days, 10 months, and perhaps even 10 years later, they should say it was well worth it, right? If yeah. you're not at this point, you're going to continue to pour water into a bucket that has holes and eventually it's going to come to bite you. And I think that to, in many ways is what's happening to you know, GoPro and Fitbit and those companies who are struggling right now. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I was recently listening um, to a podcast with the founder of Airbnb and he talked about their 12-star uh, their process, right? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but basically when they were creating Airbnb, one of the things that helped them become so successful was sitting down and thinking about like, okay, like the standard is five stars, right? If you can get five stars, then someone will use your service or product again and they might tell one or two people, right? And he said, what you need to do as a business owner is sit down and sort of go through each step and be like, okay, what does six stars look like? What is seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12? And then figure out, out of all of those ones, how far up that chain you can get where it's reasonable, right? Yeah. And then you'll have the best chance of creating that great quality product that people are going to be able to shut up about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, there's there's obviously for, for us a lot of what we do with, with the game, at least in, in kiteboarding big air where it's all about jumping big. Um, we're, we're doing that very well as we send out leaderboards in, in a... In a um, you know, shareable format as an image every day. So if you end up as the number seven, number three in the U.S. for any given day, you get that email and you can share that on Facebook. And that's that's something that makes people incredibly proud and happy, rightfully so. And they're shared shared on Facebook, and that in in a very authentic and organic way creates awareness for our product. Sorry, this is my alarm going off. No worries. <laughs> it was actually for our nine o'clock call that we uh, <laughs> made a little bit earlier. So, <laughs> you know, here I am. It all works out. <laughs> but, um, but you know, like these are very authentic and, and real ways of, of, of marketing your product. And, um, and again, we're, we're just not big fans of, of trying to create a hype by, by, you know, whatever is being done today, by making a video that just makes it look like you're, you're going to fly to Mars if you have a wound your board type thing. Yeah, no, I totally understand that now. Um, along this journey, did you have any mentors that really helped you build Woo into what it is now? Um, I think there were quite a lot. Um, uh, actually, many different ways of mentors. One thing I will say, like, there's um, an infinite amount of mentors and resources available to everyone, and that's simply by reading books. Um, there's so, so many people who've walked the walk and, and gone, that, gone down that path and built companies and have probably made many, many of the same mistakes that, you know, I, I made, we made, and I'm about to make tomorrow and uh, over the <laughs> next week. 
um, and you can you can learn from that. It's, it's an infinite resource of of really really wisdom, not just knowledge, but wisdom that's available to everyone. Um, and then I do have a couple of people in in my closest circle that um, you know, depending on on the topic, you you um, talk to and and ask for advice and you know just bounce something off of because there's every day there's things happening that are really hard that are that you've never faced before and. If someone has gone through these things in the past, um, that's very valuable. At the same time, and I think this is one of the challenges that you have as an entrepreneur as well, you're, you're obviously trying to, some, to build something that has never been built before. You're not trying to copy something that has been done in the past. So you need to find a very good balance between following guidance and in, in, one, in some ways and in other ways just being a, a complete hardhead and you know, going your way. Yeah, it's um, it's a balancing act for sure. Because at the same time, you you don't want to be a fool, right? In the sense of just like everyone's telling me this isn't going to work, but at the same time, you also got to be like, well, I'm doing something different. So, you know, when um, when Facebook was built, people were like people were like, Mark, you're an idiot. Like, what do you think is like, what are you trying to build here? You know, and now he's exactly <laughs> he's, exactly he built Facebook and where everyone uses it. <laughs> and so and so you're constantly kind of questioning your own sanity, right? Like, am I exactly. insane or are they all insane? So that's, <laughs> it's a very fine line to walk and um, and and a, a very, yeah, s- strong and, and difficult balancing act. But I think. Uh, what helps is um, just brutal honesty with yourself. Um, in most cases, you you can um, pr- you probably know if you try and do almost bullshit yourself. Um, you probably have a gut feeling where like, nah, dude, you, you you're just trying to talk something or, or make something look nice that actually is really a disaster. So you better get away from it. And you know um, that that helps being being brutally honest with yourself. Yeah, and the, the further along in, in building your business, the better at that you get. <laughs> I, 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 at least I hope so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. <laughs> um, okay, so obviously with, um, with Woo, it, it's a technology company, but it's also a product, right? So when someone uh, wants to um, start tracking and be a part of this community, they actually have to buy something to then attach to their board, right? Um, so there's manufacturing process involved. I want to ask um, sort of what that process was like and sort of fine-tuning it and building it and then um, making sure that you're doing it in a sustainable manner. Um, it's, it's a very, very um, difficult part. And if you ask me to, to look back at the past four years, this was probably by far the hardest um, lesson that, that we had to learn and, and the biggest troubles we had. Um, manufacturing bears a couple of really, really big problems and and um, inherent just risks for your business. For one, um, things never come out the same. Uh, every product to a degree is unique, and even if it's just a micrometer of, you know, different tolerance in some area of your product, but they're never the same. So you're constantly fighting against and managing imperfection, um, and it's a challenge to build your process and everything robust enough to um, to to battle that that imperfection and have a, a broad enough band of where your product can come out that it will still be okay and still um, withstand you know the demands that your customers put on it. The, the second problem you obviously have is you you don't know what you don't know. So you have a product and you you think as hard as you can as to what could happen to it. You try to analyze all failure modes and and you know try to test as much as you can to cover all these different grounds. And then someone takes your product out on the beach that happens to have 
a lot finer sand than anything you've tested and and before you know it your device isn't waterproof anymore so a lot of the the hard lessons that you learn you really almost only can learn the hard way as in give your product to a lot of consumers and they will tell you what will break eventually and last but not least if you're an an early stage startup and you don't yet have the volumes that you know say an apple or or whoever else might have um finding a manufacturer that is uh, a qualified and motivated partner um on your side is really really challenging um for one because you know there's many 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 companies that try to manufacture something and again you know the the, the good ones who have volumes that are attractive to big manufacturers um they're they're going somewhere else you have to find someone who's willing to work with a small startup where you you know try to sell them your dream and 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 try to convince them that you're going to ship you know millions of those within three years um and and that's really hard as well and once you're past that step where you where you found someone that you want to work with um you know you have to realize that these people in this company they have not just one product they have 10 15 20 products that they work with so they're not going going to have the same passion urgency and 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 you know attention to detail that you bring to it so you're fighting that and last but not least if there's any disagreement in that in that um in that realm say you know say they ship you something that doesn't work the way you would want it to and you contractually hold them want to hold them accountable for it they're they're they might just say look you know uh, we we can fight about about this over court um but for the time being, we can't ship you any product, and and you kind of like in a pinch in that situation, purely from a from a um, yeah half personal, half legal standpoint, where you really can't um, hold them accountable for 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 delivering you quality products. So all these things combined um, create a pretty much a minefield that you have to walk through, and um, it's inevitable that you're going to step on a couple of mines, and you really have to um, you know try to recover from it as, as quickly as you can and, and fight every day to, to deliver the best product you can, but it's not easy. You know, you bring up a lot of really good points and um, in doing this podcast for over a year now, we, I, I've interviewed a lot of people that um, have manufacturing businesses and have done uh, Kickstarters, right, where they uh, raise a lot of money up front and then they have these expectations of when products are going to be delivered, right? And then, like you said, something goes wrong and then it's pushed back because obviously you're not the main priority to um, your partner that's building your product. And, you know, there could be a ton of different reasons, right? Um, and, and I think really my biggest takeaway from this is like whenever I'm working with a company and also just being an entrepreneur and having my own business, I'm so much more uh, understanding and empathetic when like I work <laughs> with a new company and something doesn't work. I'm just like, listen, like this didn't work, but like I totally understand. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it right. It looks it looks so easy from the outside. Like, we, you, you really think like, how hard can it be? But um, damn, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> it really and, is. And uh, I actually, I recently just read um, a book that uh, that I thought was really interesting. It reminded me a lot of the struggles that we went through as well. It's it's uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Um, so if anyone has, you know, uh, an interest to, to learn about the types of struggles and hiccups Nike went through as, as the company grew into, you know, public billion dollar business, um, it's very, very interesting. And, and a, a good reminder that even or particular, I would say the most successful companies went through deep, deep struggles as well. 
Definitely. What was the name of that one more time? I'll put it in um, the show notes. Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Awesome. Um, yeah, we'll link that up mm-hmm. for anyone who uh, wants to check that out. Um, okay, so now I want to pivot again to talk a little bit more about the organization. So uh, you're originally from Germany, but you're now based in Bo- the Boston area. Correct, um, yeah. And you get a team of about 11 total, including yourself. Correct, yeah. And you guys are based all over the country and world, I guess, right? Yeah, we're pretty we're pretty multinational. So by now we've had um, people work at Wu from you know pretty much every single continent, um, including South Africa, Zimbabwe, uh, France, Spain, uh, uh, Holland, Germany, U.S. Of course. So we're we're pretty we're pretty scattered all over the place. That sounds awesome, but also horrifying. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, what what is it like? Um, I guess managing every, not I guess managing, but sort of working together and creating that culture. Because obviously everyone who works with Wu is, loves the outdoors and is either a kite or a skier, snowboarder or other sort of outdoor enthusiast. So I'd love to sort of get to know how, how, what the dynamic is. I think, I think um, at least in our case, in our company, what, what glues us together is kind of a common passion, obviously, for what we do and a common um, drive to to fulfill our mission as a company and i think that's that's what um essentially creates some sort of true north for us um that lets us all run pretty much into the into the same direction obviously it's not always like that we're a startup but um but that helps uh, tremendously and and also to bridge you know boundaries that are either by by time zones or geography or whatever it might be um and that again that, that makes makes that that side of things much much easier in terms of culture overall in the company it's it's a it's a tricky thing and it's such a soft and right brain and subjective and murky area um i do believe that if you do get a culture right in a company it's of tremendous tremendous value far beyond what um what many you know business leaders or what it is perceived to be in 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 common media and all that a really really good company culture will allow you to plow through the biggest hurdles and, and keep a team together that keeps, um, um, you know, trucking and, and knocking down walls to make this happen. Um, and that's something that, you know, no uh, incentive plan or, or no management style or, or no organizational chart can ever, ever tackle. Um, so that, that culture is incredibly important. How you build that culture is, um, I think, a lot, a lot due to the, to the fact of, you know, the kind of people that you hire and the kind of, values that you try to live and 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 kind of yeah bring to your team and and um um, communicate to your team every single day it's a lot of lot of small things that happen pretty much on a on a daily and hourly basis that over time form a really really strong culture and and again i think it's incredibly important and i think part of that culture at Wu is that we are a multinational bunch that we're, you know, not not this company that sits in our own little offices in our own little uh, Truman show or our own little world that we that we but instead that we have people from all over the world that bring different perspectives and we and it, this requires us to have a certain type of openness and and um, tolerance for for different opinions and different ways of doing things and that is part of our culture as well. Yeah, I'm sure that that um, makes you very unique and and a lot better at sort of um, seeing what's coming because you have people from all over sort of helping bring together all of that knowledge and 
um, help Wu progress, right? Um, and constantly exactly. evolving. Exactly, yeah. What would you say has been one of the hardest parts about starting Wu? Um, I think the hardest part about starting Wu is um, is literally the the mental burden that it takes on you um, when you start a business and you all of a sudden you know no longer walk into an office and say I'm, I'm going in there at nine o'clock in the morning I'm leaving at five and yeah you know if if things didn't go well this week like who cares uh, you know I'll get it Monday and fix it. You do not have that type of freedom um, as an entrepreneur. You you wake up on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings and you feel horrible and and um, and um, you oh know, yeah you you, <laughs> you feel a lot of anxieties about things because you know either you're going to run out of cash or you know there's an issue with the product that you need to solve or a customer just wrote you and said you know you suck your product sucks your company sucks <laughs> and these kinds of things just stick right you you. Um, if you care, they're going to hit you really hard, um, and and that that is something that I think many entrepreneurs aren't um, anticipating, aren't expecting. I certainly didn't, and it's something that you're going to have to learn to deal with and to to kind of get comfortable with and find ways to manage yourself, manage your own sanity, for lack of better terms, to to be able to sustain that over over a long period of time because. Um, there's there's never a dull moment and there's never a week going by without any kind of drama that that in the end of the day can put you out of business if you don't keep a cool head and and head and and continue to manage the situation the right way and and that I think is is ultimately um, the hardest part about being an entrepreneur. Yeah, anything can change in an instant, right? It's like um, I never realized that until I started. Um, uh, my first business and like as soon as you get into it and you're like wow things are going so great and then something happens and you're like wow this sucks yep. <laughs> like yeah. what even happened and like like I'll have instances where I'll be working for like you know whatever 16 hours straight and then like my girlfriend will come over and she'll see me and she'll be like oh if you're in one of your moods I'm gonna go in the other room until you figure this out and then <laughs> and I'm like yeah you're right I know because like, I'm so freaking like immersed and stressed about whatever is going on and like obviously like there's great parts to it too but like it is a very stressful thing um, because, yeah but it's a love it's a it's a it's a fun fun experience yeah I mean this is this is and, and this is why I think you know things like culture and passion and these you know, soft, murky, right brain type things are so incredibly important. And that's why I think they make successful businesses because someone who doesn't have that would give up in an instant um, and would move on to something else that's easier and more fun and, you know, pays a better salary and whatever. Um, um, and that's, you know, and that's why so many businesses fail. I think ultimately, ultimately almost the vast majority of businesses fail because people gave up um, and not because there was no way to salvage the situation and, and make it work. Um, and that's, uh, that's again, that, that all goes back to, you know, on one end, having, having a love and a passion for what you do. And on the other hand, um, being able to just manage yourself so you don't freak out and, and just burn out or, or, um, you know, do something really irrational out of, out of an emotion. Um, yeah. You learn a lot about yourself. You figure out what, um, what, aspects of your business you really enjoy and what parts you don't and sort of how to supplement the parts that you don't with things that you do to sort of energize yourself and 
keep yourself going so you don't experience that burnout. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, along this journey, what would you say are some of your biggest fears and how do you manage them in regards to woo? I think a, a big fear always is that you, for lack of better terms, just go out of business, right? I mean, you, you, you feel that um, tremendous sense of responsibility that comes with uh, two degree success. We have, you know, 11,000 um, people on the leaderboard, 20,000 kiters using our product. So it's, um, it's that, that in itself creates that type of fear that, oh my God, if, you know, it's, it's not that I don't have a job tomorrow. If, if who fails, I'll find something different, right? That's, that's not a big deal, but something that you also convince so many people to, to, Go along you and and follow you follow follow that path and and build something with you and give up a lot in their lives to do that and you have all these customers that paid money for a product that you built and they obviously want you to to keep going because you know otherwise a lot of a lot of what they invested in in your your product and your business is is um, worthless at that point and that type of pressure and that type of fear that you have every day that there's something that could happen. Um, and that's realistic. It's it's not a made up fear. It is very realistic in, in the world we live in that, you know, tomorrow something that could happen that instantly puts us out of business. And that is something that is incredibly hard to manage. Um, um, and again, it's, you know, a, a fear that I, I and I know many others in our company have to live with on a day to day basis. Definitely. Um, what would you say have been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made in regards to Woo? Um, the biggest mistakes uh, initially, for sure, uh, you know, too much enthusiasm, um, a little bit too much optimism, a little bit too much um, excitement uh, that, that we had where we, you know, projected to be um, here and there. We, we thought essentially that things were going to be much easier and that and that in the end of the day really um, hurt us a lot. Another another big mistake that I made um, early on personally and this was perhaps uh, the biggest mistake that for a while in the business, I thought that, um, you know, it's it's okay and it's the right thing to do to only share good news and kind of try to keep the bad news to yourself, um, um, especially around investors and shareholders and the board of directors and other people in the company um, and deal with them myself, right? Like, I, I, I always make that outward facing, everything's great, everything's perfect, we're doing, we're doing great. Um, typeface and internally there were a whole bunch of things that I knew were were very very critical and very big problems um, and eventually this will catch up with you in in one or in one or another way one being that you you just can't handle that stress by yourself anymore and another one that some of these things do become obvious to people and and then you know you have to explain them and have to say yeah well in hindsight I should have done that a year ago so um, you know, it kind of goes back to being authentic, being your your true self, and and being real in the end of the day, and not not um, letting the fear of looking bad or, or or being perceived as a failure get in the way of just being honest and and upfront with everyone around you. Um, that has uh, cost cost me personally a lot of a lot of stress, and and our business certainly. Um, suffered from it because we didn't have transparent communication with our shareholders and if you don't have that they don't trust you and they don't support you um, and that's a big mistake that that i and we made as a business i can totally relate to that i the hearing you talk about that i i definitely do 
something similar in the sense of like you just want to save face and like it for me it's like I'm going to figure this problem out so like I don't even want to talk about it you know what I mean um and, and like I feel like it's my responsibility since it's like my baby right <laughs> right exactly you, you just you just feel like that's that's on me I, you know suck it up figure it out yeah exactly like I don't need to tell you like everything's great don't worry I'll figure it out <laughs> But sharing yeah. that is a good thing, and also keeping people who are involved informed is is very important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, what what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor sports industry or really just a business in general? I think I think uh, the the biggest the biggest fear that many people have is of failure. Um, they, you know, I think everybody is, or, or at least I would assume that there's, you know, probably a thousand people around the world that thought around that time, oh, you know, why don't we build a motion tracker for kiteboarding? And so many people don't do it because they're they're worried that um, that something bad will happen and that they will fail. And and one thing I've learned, failure is a beautiful thing because it teaches you tremendously powerful lessons about life, about yourself, and ultimately helps you grow tremendously and makes you a better person not just you know in the way that you that you feel uh on a day-to-day basis but also towards other people and so um having that fear of failure and having that kind of hesitancy to 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 jump into something that ultimately is unknown um is perceived by many as as a big risk um that you take but to me um, the risk is much be- bigger if you do not take that step because then you already basically signed off to um, a life and a path where you will always look back and say, what if I did this? And you're always going to have that regret and you're always going to you know, follow a path that you know isn't truly what you want to do. So in starting a business, the, the, the first and foremost important step is to actually start. Um, there is no, you know, there's no key that you turn around or no um, contract that you sign that all of a sudden says you started it's it's a it's a mindset type of decision to say yes i will do this um the worst thing that can happen is that after two years you you fall and fail um miserably but i can guarantee you that after those two years you will have learned so much um that by far and large outweighs anything you would ever learn in a, in a two-year mba program at a university or something so in that sense, you've already won, um, and you know, God forbid, things tend to work out well. You you've built something that you really um, enjoy and, and can be proud of, and 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 you've uh, manifested a life that you that you really wanted to live. So, um, my big advice for someone to to start a company is to actually just do it, go for it, um, walk out the door the next morning, and and for that day. Um, do everything you can to push this a step further, which includes networking, which includes writing writing pitch decks or one-pagers or or making your mind up on how the product should look like, whatever it can be, but you have to get started. You cannot ever um, start a business with the mindset, ah, well, you know, once I get some investment, maybe I'll quit my real job or um, once I have a product that uh, I, I sold in the thousands, then maybe I'll quit my job. You have to make that decision from day one to say, I'll, I'll go for this, I'll do this, um, up until the point where I say, uh, I don't want to do this no more. Um, but again, it, it really starts with starting. I know it sounds somewhat simple and maybe a little bit cliche, but that really is what it comes down to. And that's my biggest piece of advice for someone to start a business. 
I, I think that's great advice. And I, I want to sort of go back to your point about the uh, two years and it's your own version of an MBA program. And I think that's so true. Like for me, before starting Ready Eddie, I had a few other businesses that I've run, some somewhat successful, some not so successful. And without those experiences, I would never have been able to do what I've done so far. You know what I mean? Like those those learning experiences have taught me so many lessons as to like what works, what doesn't work, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. Um, and at least in the United States, it's a hell of a lot cheaper than a, than a two year MBA program. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, take take those hundred and fifty thousand dollars and start a business with that. Exactly. Jeez, you, you can do a lot with one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. I could. Yeah. I, exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, the, the the lessons are also these type of real life lessons that you you just do not learn in in uh, in an MBA program or anything. You just have to experience it. And, and you know, for my part, I I didn't. I, I hate to admit it, but I didn't know what equity was before I started with Whoop. Um, there's so many, you know, shareholders was a strange concept to me. I was just, you know, thought that shareholders sucked. That's the that's the one thing I knew about them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like you you you're just forced to learn so many things, and and it's oh god, it's uh, after all, it's just uh, you know, two year education at the very worst. Exactly, exactly. There's so many things that I've learned along the way as well. Things that in school, like obviously you, you get taught, taught the theory of it and you're just like, well, whatever. And then you're in the thick of it with your business. You're like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Actually going through the experience. Um, okay, so where do you see Woo Sports going in the next year, five years, ten years, if you've thought about it? So, um, again, our, our practice, our premise always was, and I'll start with uh, I'll start with the ten years. Um, our, our premise always was to turn turn life into a game, and we don't just do that for the sake of it. We we really believe that um, games are incredibly powerful, and and we as humans, and uh, you know, you have to maybe many people have to think back to their early lives when they were kids. We love to play, and there's a type of presence and mindfulness and joy that that is inherent in any type of play. Um, and that's something that we're lacking in our in our current society. People are perhaps you know they're perhaps very serious, but not very sincere about what they do. They're they're not genuine about what they do, and and play brings all these things back into the real world. Um, and that's something that we want to want to enable. Um, obviously, kids themselves and grow ups to experience more and more. Uh, games are incredibly powerful if you look at. The amount of time that people spend um, in front of TV screens or their mobile phones playing silly things where they move rocks around or where they, um, you know, throw angry birds at structures to bring them down. They're, they're mundane tasks and they're in themselves not exciting, but because uh, a proper game is built around it, people get addicted to it. So, so why can't we use these games to make people do things like being outdoors, like you know, going skiing, going kiteboarding, going skateboarding, whatever it might be, um, that is something real, not just sitting on a couch and twiddling your thumb and, and feel that type of playfulness, feel that emotion, feel that kind of sense of being alive. Um, and if in 10 years from now, we as Wu can say that we affect um, a lot of, lot of people on this planet in that way, that they say, Wu has really enriched my life because I do spend more time in a community playing and feeling those emotions and, and bringing that type of in, inherent happiness to the world, 
um, then we consider ourselves a success. I think you know all the all the financial things and, and how many users these things will follow. But what we really want to do is capture that emotion and capture that experience for people and bring that to the world. Um, again, these games in, in 10 years, I think, could encompass a lot more than just action sports. We start in action sports because that's our passion and that's where we where we all come from. And that's a, such a great way to bring a little bit more of a, for lack of better terms, game and structured game to it that can be played all around the globe with uh, independent from time and location. But in ten years, I see this being um, being a technology and and a, a experience that can really enrich um, um, many people outside of action sports as well with that type of emotion and that type of um, um, happiness. Now, what that means for us for the next year and years to come, of course, is to continuously grow as a business. Our our goal right now is um, to bring. Um, that that game that we've already very successfully bought uh, or built in um, in kiteboarding, bring that into snowboarding and skiing freestyle, so that um, you know we have uh, something in the winter to do as well. Because right now in the winters we're bored out of our minds because we can't go kiteboarding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's that's our next goal for the next year. So I'd say a year from now we'd be um, very happy and excited if we had a similar impact to the sport of, of snowboarding freestyle and, and skiing freestyle than we already had in, in kiteboarding big air itself. Um, and again, from then from then on and from there on, it's a, it's a step-by-step progression for us to continue to grow the business. But um, we're very much um, of, the, of the belief by now that uh, growing too fast is a, is a bad thing for a company and can actually really, really hurt you. You dilute your brand, you dilute what makes you strong, you dilute your authenticity. So we're very much geared towards organic growth that is um, in a very healthy rate. And that might take a little bit more time than the you know standard VC route where you'd want a company to be a billion dollar company within the next three years. Right. Now, what would you say is the best part about running Woo? Oh, the best part about running Woo is that I get to work with really, really cool people um, in a really, really cool culture. And whenever there's wind, there's no questions asked. Every single meeting is canceled and we go out kiteboarding. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Leo, I really appreciate you taking the time to um, sit down and, and chat with me and share your story and share your passion for kiteboarding and the outdoors and everything that you're, you're building. Um, but before we wrap up, I want uh, to let listeners know that we're actually going to be partnering with uh, Woo Sports and a number of other outdoor brands. And between the month of uh, October 3rd and the 31st, you can actually enter to win um, uh, a Woo setup. So you can actually start competing with uh, with your friends and other people in the community. Um, so you can head over to ReadyYeti.com and uh, check that out and enter for your chance to win. Uh, but with that, Leo, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to chat and uh, if listeners want to keep tabs on what you guys are doing and follow along with the journey where's the best place for them to do that um woosports.com is our website uh facebook uh, we have or facebook instagram presences as well we usually keep everything that we learn know and do um on on social and on our website so that's that's the best place to do it and other than that i just encourage everyone as well if you have questions um just fire them along to Josh and um, um, Josh will, will pass them on to me and I'm more than happy to, to answer more questions if, if they come up. Definitely well, Leo. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Eh? It was great. 
If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Ready Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.